rest of you are here too. I'm sorry, I was excited to see my friend. Okay. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys. I'm actually very, very excited to be able to share the word of God with you tonight. I feel like God gave me something really special yesterday when I was planning this. So buckle your seatbelt because we're going in. It's going to be good tonight. Um, we are like James just about the book of Ruth, right? A girl named Ruth. Perfect. And it is a ton of scripture. And so we're literally going to jump in. Are you guys ready? I'm not even going to tell any funny stories at the beginning. I'm just jumping into the Bible. I'm, I'm still funny, so I'm sure I'll say something funny later. But exactly, that was actually funny. Thank you. One person laughed. So we're going to jump in. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you guys my title of my message is called Life is a Mess. Can I get an amen? Anyone ever experienced that your life can be a mess? Not just me? Okay, perfect. Good. And I'm talking to some people tonight. That is what the book of Ruth is going to show us the first chapter tonight. It is just one hot mess. And I think there's going to be something in it that everyone, myself, you, every leader, Pastor James, that we can relate to. So it's going to be good. So we're going to jump in. So does anyone have their actual real-life Bible in the room? Your actual, look at this. I see real Bibles in the front row. Chris has a Bible. Matt's got a Bible. Emily's got a Bible. You got a Bible in the back? Look at this. I love this right here. We got some. Okay. I have a challenge, CPU. I want CPU to be known as that crazy youth group on the west side that always has their sword. I'm not, I highly recommend downloading the phone app through version. It's great for, you know, you can look up stuff. It's awesome. But there is something powerful about having physically this book in your possession, like in your backpack at school, busted out sometimes at break or lunch or in the bathroom. That's weird, but maybe, you know, whatever. But honestly, it's really important. I think our younger generation is losing the reality of the sacredness of this ancient writing, that it is so relevant today. And, yes, you can get the information over your phone app but there's something powerful when you're physically holding it and reading it when words seem to literally jump off a page to you. Some challenging CPU. Start bringing your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you one tonight. You will not need to leave tonight. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you one, okay? Cool. So if you have it, it's in Ruth chapter 1. Some of you probably are like, I've never even heard of this book of the Bible. It is in the Old Testament. It is right after Judges, just before 1 Samuel, all right? So it goes Genesis, Exodus, Luke. So turn there or on your Bible, and we're going to jump in. I'm actually going to read right here just the first few verses, and then we're going to get going. Okay, ready? It says this. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. And... I can't help but sing that. It's not how the song actually goes, but every time. Thank you, Jonathan. I did that last night, too. Anyway, yeah, you, you guys know it. It's actually a Weemawap, right? Whatever. Elimelech's way better. All right, sorry. Keep picking back up at verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Eph Ephrathites. Everyone say Ephrathites. It's kind of a, one of those fun Bible words. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they are, right, little, little nice family, okay, I want to give you guys a couple little insights as we go along tonight. Insight number one is, this is in the time of the judges. First sentence says that. What does that even mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Which, by the way, Isaiah, could you please just, like, quit school and start preaching? I mean, for real. Come on. 
<laughs> right? Like when you see giftedness in someone, you're just like, I'll just sit down. There's the message. I mean, come on. That was so powerful. But after Moses, that little baby that raised up to be the prince of Egypt, right, who literally God used to take his entire people, a couple million of them, outside of slavery and on the journey to the promised land, that's the Israelites. That's God's chosen people. Now, those people were on a journey for a long time in the wilderness with Moses, and they got pretty mad because they're like, this don't look like no promised land to us. This is through a time, it's like about 1,500 years before Christ came on the scene, just to give you a little biblical reference, okay? So we're looking at like 3,000, between 3,000 3,500 years ago. It's a long time ago. But what it means at the time of the judges was, those, they were not happy people, okay? They grumbled a lot. They complained a lot. So all of a sudden, the Lord started appointing people within regions to become judges to oversee disputes that the people were having. And the most common phrase we read in the book of Judges is this. And the children of God, the, chil the children, the Israelites, did evil in the, eye, in the sight of the Lord. Like that's what we read over and over and over in Judges. God's people who he redeemed cannot get it together. They just keep screwing up. And God in his infinite havoc. Things were not good, okay? Let me paint the picture for you. There is like racial divides, okay, going on. There's like people that say, I don't like you because your skin is a different color than mine. There is like sexual perversion happening where they can have whatever they want sexually and they do whatever they want and they do crazy stuff because they're just, they just are like over it. There's like idolization of people and things in place of God, right, that they put their focus and their time and their energy into that yields dirty, ugly, people don't agree with like who should be in charge and whose ways. Does this sound familiar to anyone? It sounds like now, right? It sounds like the culture they were experiencing in the time of judges was just jacked up. I think the young people in our nation even, we say on one hand, America is the best place to live in all the world. We have freedom here. It's an incredible place. But on the other hand, most of y'all, most of your generation is saying, this place is jacked up. We don't like the division, the racial division, the political division. They're like, I hate you just because of how you look. Same time, same setting in book of what's going on in the time of judges, all right? But then the second line says something to add to that already cultural upheaval, and it says, then there was a fan, a severe famine in all the land of Judah. What does that tell us? That means they're already in a horrible time to live, right? The setting on the scene is like no one's real happy because there's just crap going on around them all the time. And then, you know, Ralph's closes down, okay? Costco gets burned to the ground, all right? They're, I know, I'm telling you. It's awful, right? Like, <laughs> this is the reality. A severe famine means there is no food to go around. So not only are these people frustrated with the current setting that they're dealing with in life, but then they're hangry. Anybody in here ever been hangry? You know what I'm talking about. When you're hungry and you're like, you might be a very kind, nice person, but then like the spirit of pure evilness comes over and you're like, do not look at me until I get a cheese. You get frustrated. So listen, there's these two components going on right before, as if that is not enough. And then we're going to dive into the personal story of this family, Elimelech and his wife and their children. And the name Elimelech actually means God, my king, okay, or God is king. Then the wife, Naomi, her name translates to lovely and pleasant. So you have the picture-perfect suburban couple, right? It's like the king and his lovely bride, and they have their two sons. They hear in Moab that they're doing pretty good, okay? So they travel with their family to the place called Moab, and then that is where 
they find two daughter-in-laws to marry Katie's two sons. So that's setting up the stage. Real fast before I jump in the next verse, I want to tell you this. It says intentionally, I love when the Bible does this, that Elimelech was from Bethlehem of Judah. Why is that important? Because the word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Okay? Who is from Bethlehem that we make going on? And God's going to tell a story that comes from a place of provision. All right? That foreshadowing that is the same place that Jesus himself, who will sustain every hunger you have, is going to come on the scene. That's pretty good. The Bible also is talking about from Judah. Okay, why does it mention it twice? But he's from Bethlehem in Judah. It's like the same thing. It's like Marietta in Southern California, right? It's like the same place. But listen, Judah is what? The line of Judah is where who came from? Who is from the tribe? Is from the tribe of Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of Judah. So everything, I'm pointing this out because tonight in chapter one, it's really a setup for the story of Ruth that you guys are going to hear the next couple of weeks. But these things matter. I want you to know, young person, that the Bible is just not a weird, boring, complicated book. Every single line in it means something that points to Jesus Christ. And every single detail, if you research it, if you dig deep, if you do word searches, you're going to be like, what? And then that means, wait, huh? It is an awesome book. It is not boring. So I'm saying against the lie that some young people today think, oh, the Bible, that's so boring, so outdated, so confusing. No, it's not. Every single thing, like every scene that Game of Thrones invented, they read it in here. Okay, this is like full of drama and craziness. Trust me. All right. So moving along, okay, we're going to get here now. Now that you guys know a couple of these things setting up, foreshadowing Jesus, it says all of a sudden, okay, so they were from Bethlehem, the land of Judah, and then they, when they reached Moab, then Elimelech died. See ya. I mean, we don't get to hear how or why, but we say they travel there. He takes his whole family to a brand new place in search of food, and then he dies when he gets there. And then Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One, named, one married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her. T- I don't know about you, but this, we could skip over this if you just read these couple sentences real fast and move on. I want to paint a picture for what's happening right now. This person's life, this woman, Naomi, was not going well for her. She was already in a culture of unrest, like tons of confusion about who is the real God. And like, but she comes from the people of Israel. She is a child of God. She's an inherited already as a people of God. But yet the whole culture around her is not honoring him. She's already like confused about life. Then she marries this man. And then he, they travel. They move because there's a famine. And then he dies. Then she has her two sons left. They get married, and then 10 years later, they die. The Bible's not clear about when or how they died. It just says they died. And imagine if it's saying in one sentence, about 10 years later, they died. They might have died in the same day. Maybe there was, like, a fight. Maybe they got an attack with an animal. I don't know. But, dude, as a mom who already has no husband to, like, get a phone call, well, not a phone call, but, you know, like if somebody shows up at your tent and they're like, your boys are dead, this woman just, like, Bam, 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 has the biggest tragedies you could imagine. Now, listen, what that says to me is her life was a mess. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had seasons in my life, plenty, more than I would like to even have, where I've been in a mess. And you guys know when you feel like your life is a mess? It's like when it rains, it what? 
it pours. You guys know that saying. It feels like I can never get my head above water. Everything feels like it's off in the drive through line or something, and then it closes, or I don't know, or you walk up and you're in line for 20 minutes at Starbucks, and they're like, we just ran out of caramel brulee syrup. Sorry. You're like, oh, of course, because everything's going wrong, right? To the big things. When I was a freshman in high school, okay, so I was like, some of you guys are freshmen. When I was a freshman in high school, I was 13 years old, all right, I was at school, and my mom picked me up one day, and some of you know this part of my story, but my mom picked me up from school one day, and the front office said that I had um, an orthodontist suffer through the braces time in their life. All right, awesome. I had the rubber bands, though, and, like, the headgear. <laughs> it was bad, okay? It was real bad. This is before Invisalign, people. It was not pretty. And so I'm already, like, in high school going through stuff, whatever. I lived in a pretty abusive household. I've told you guys a lot about that before. My, my stepdad was, like, not a kind person. He was very abusive to my mom, verbally abusive to me. And so life was kind of rough for me already. And then my mom picks me up from school one day, says she has an appointment for me. I'm like, I don't have a doctor's appointment today. What are you talking about? I was that kid that, like, didn't want to miss school. But I loved school, so I wanted to be there. But my mom picked me up. And I knew something was wrong because I was like, we are not actually driving to the orthodontist and I don't have an appointment. She drove me to this little sandwich shop in, in Bakersfield, California, which is where I grew up. And she sits me down. Shout outs for Bakersfield. That has never happened in my life. That's amazing. I'm just kidding. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> just, okay, perfect. Um, anyway, so we are at this sandwich shop and my mom proceeds to tell me that she has been diagnosed with cancer, stage four Hodgkin's disease. All right, that moment in my world as a freshman in high school changed everything. The next 12 years of my life, I watched my mom suffer from a disease that just ate at her life every single day. Some of you have been through that. Some of you have lost family members just like I lost my mom. Some of you have seen people fight through stuff like cancer and come out the other side and God preserve their life this side of heaven. But some of you have lived through the pain of when life sucks. And it's just keep happening. That is what was happening with this woman, Naomi. But the first point I have tonight that I want you to hear is this. Your mess matters. Okay, that is my first point. If you're taking notes on those little bookmarks, if we have them, you can write, your mess matters. What do I mean by that? I mean that your mess matters to the heart of God. Because so often through scripture, God sets up stories like this where he shows us, hey, there are people in biblical times that had huge messes too. A lot of the time it's just so that we can understand we're not alone in this life that is messed up. So I love that God takes the time to give us detail of these people's situation, their circumstance. And it's laying on pretty thick for Naomi. But you know what's cool? There's a verse that like really stood out to me in not really high school years but my college years that I had written out on like kind of all my folders and stuff that it was an encouragement to me and it's from Psalm 27, 13, 14. I want to read it to you guys. It says, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Here is why that verse stood out to me when I was watching my mom suffer and why I hope that it sticks out for some of you tonight is, yeah, your life might be a mess right now. There might be a lot of stuff going wrong. There might be stuff going down at home that's just never getting better. There might be insecurities that you carry. There might be like, wait patiently on the Lord. Be brave and be courageous. 
because God is going to come through, and you will see his goodness in the land of the living. That means now. That means this side of heaven. So listen, young high school student that has sat and even maybe today or this week or this month contemplated whether your life is even worth living another day and listening to the lies of the enemy telling you, yeah, you should just end your life. That is the biggest plague coming over our students right now, depression, anxiety, right, that leads to suicide. And I want to tell you guys, I'll probably tell it every single time I preach because it matters to my heart because this is the truth. The truth is you will see goodness in this land, here on earth, in your life. High school is not the end of your story. The drama you deal with is not the end part. It's not the end goal. You will get through it and you will see goodness on the other side of it. I promise you. But in the middle, you need to wait on the Lord. And in that process, be brave and be courageous. Tonight, don't give up. Wait on God. He's got a plan, and it's already in motion. All right. The second part is this. I'm going to read a little bit further, okay? So then we know we got this, this person in a mess here. And then it says, after Naomi's left alone now with her two sons, um, uh, she lost her two sons and her husband. The next part, starting in verse 6, says this. But then Naomi heard in Moab, she was living in Moab, remember, that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Moab to return to their homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. You know what Judah means? Praise. Back to a place that they can rejoice. Back to the land of goodness. Back to the land of restoration. Back to the land that where they came from in the first place, that they're able to come back because there is blessing in the land again. This is a really important thing. They're on their way, batters-in-law. Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Okay, I'm going to pause right there again. What is, why is this significant? Naomi has had these two girls that she's been raising then after the, her sons die, right? She's just stayed with them. They've been a little family unit, these three, these three girls. And then she's like, here's that there's food back in the land of Moab. So she, I mean, in the land of Judah. She's like, I can go home to my people, to my God. Because she's in a foreign land. The Moabites did not serve Yahweh. They did not serve the Lord God, all right? They had all these other gods and idols and weird sacrifice things that they were into. She's like, yes, I can go home. They set out and go, but then she stops on the way and realizes, wait, you guys need to go back home because you're from Moab. You're Moabites. Your whole family is here. Go back to your mothers. And she's like, thank you for your kindness to me and to my boys and that you stuck it out with me, but I want you guys to stay with what you know, what you have, all you're comfortable with. You don't need to follow me back home. And then they break down and weep. Here's what I want to say about this, my second point. Bless others in your mess. What does this mean? This means here's Naomi who has nothing. She's lost everyone that she loves and knows, but she hears there's a good thing to finally get to. She's trying to, like, draw her original identity in the Lord, go back to the God of her fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. She's ready to go back. But then she knows she needs to part ways with these people that maybe she shouldn't even have been joined with in the first place, to be honest. There was, like, racial division back then. You were an Israelite, should not have married a Moabite. That shouldn't have happened. But listen, so she tells these two girls. But you know what she does? She blesses them. 
Here's the thing I want to say. Have you guys ever been in life where relationship that ends, okay? A moment when there's like a mess and there's a lot going on, and then all of a sudden you realize, I need to part ways with this person. So I need to say, there's a line now, and I'm going to move on. You know what we do oftentimes as people? Instead of blessing people before we say goodbye, we curse them. Hey, friend that used to be my friend for a bunch of years, but you, like, talked bad about me last week, and you wore the same dress I did to prom or whatever, something else stupid that we want to fight over. I'm not only going to not bless you for the season that God gave us together. I'm going to curse you. I'm going to walk away because I'm mad at you, and I'm going to tell my whole group of friends why I'm mad at you and why you suck in the first place and why I don't want you in my life anymore. I'm going to talk trash on you. Do you, you know what the crazy part about that is? It only makes you look like the idiot. Because you were the one that was good friends with them for the last five years of your life. And now all of a sudden you got everything to put them on blast for and like throw shade at them. What? Like think about this for a minute. We're up for ourselves because when we get hurt by someone else, we try to posture like whatever. I don't care about them. They don't really hurt me. They're this, 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 and this. But instead, take a note from Naomi. Bless people in your mess. When there's a season of friendship that ends or a breakup that happens or whatever it might be, learn to bless people because it's going to release something in you to actually move on and do life well. And then it is an incredible witness for everyone around you. Like, whoa, they had this big falling out, but that's about that person that's not their friend, not their boyfriend, not their girlfriend anymore. That's powerful. If you can figure out that at this young age, dude, you're way ahead of the game. Okay, so here's the thing. We're moving on. All right. So this is why this is also important is when there was, I'm not going to go too far into this, but in this time, in this biblical culture, when Naomi lost her husband, she was a, immediately, you know, a widowed person. And women were already like the less, the lowest part of society. They were mostly just for like baby making and like keeping the house together. All right. So times have changed. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. But, <laughs> but listen, if a person died, like if a husband died, then that woman was like all of a sudden a liability to society. And so then the, the person's younger brother would have to marry that, that woman, like take her on his way. So imagine like if you've dated somebody and they had a little brother before, and then like all of a sudden your boyfriend got out of the picture and you had to start dating a little brother. <laughs> Aren't you glad times have changed? Aren't you glad there's context to things, cultural shifts? All right. But listen, this is important because in this moment where she blesses them, she's blessing them out of like hurt and mess, but she chooses to say, it has been harder for Naomi to keep these two women in her life because not only did she become a widow, but so did her daughter-in-laws. And then all of a sudden they're like triple rejects in society, right? But she still decides, I'm going to bless you as I go. And then this is what happens. Moving along here, and let me see. Let me catch back up to myself. She tells them, and then they say, and they say she kisses them, said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fit, his fair. Okay, before I go on to the next part, I want to say this. You know that you're not really close to people until you go through some crap with them, right? Can I say that in church? Okay, I didn't say the other bad thing. Listen, you are not 
There is something about friendships and families and relationships that get fortified in the thickness of hurt. When you have to deal with tragedy and pain and frustration, it takes you to a deeper level of connection, right? These women, that shows me they have been through real life together. You need to find some people that you can go through real life together, all right? Because this is what they're doing. They're choosing community. They're being one with one another, and they're actually sharing their real stuff. If you're just showing up to life, to your small group every week, you know, or with your friend group, and just like, everything's fine on the surface, but you got some, like, craziness going on underneath, right? You're never going to find the depth of friendship and community that you actually desire and need until you're real, know about you or how they'll judge you and just be honest because once you are honest and you go there and you allow yourself to be known that's when you can also allow yourself to be loved it's like this beautiful thing so I just want to encourage you as a side note to that but we're going to move to the my third point and read this next part of scripture which my third point is choose God over the mess so what do I mean picking back up in that verse it says they they started again they wept together and Orpah She's one of the two daughter-in-laws. She kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And here it is, the best sentence in Ruth 1. Your God will be my God. Whenever you die, I will die, and then I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Because she saw in Ruth this determination. Right after, like, Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye, and she's like, all right, peace. She went back home. She started walking. She went back home. You know why? It was way easier. It's way easier to walk back to what you know. It was way easier to go back to her old ways of life. It was way easier to go serve the gods, plural, right, that she had in front of her and her people. She went back to her own party scene, her own friend group, her own comforts, her own home with her own bed and her own pillow. That's the easy way. It's way easier to go back to what you know. You know what's harder? To turn and to look at somebody that you admire and be like, I don't know who the God that you serve is, but I need to know them, so I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Your people are my people. Where you live, I'm going to live. What you do, I'm going to do. And your God is going to be my God. That is what Ruth says right now. So when I say choose God over the mess, Ruth saw that she was following Naomi into like, who cast? They had no husbands, right? And they had not been in their land for over a decade. So they're going to roll back into Judah, not knowing if it's going to be a a good reception or not. But Ruth says, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to cling to you. That same word cling is used in Genesis when it says a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. It's a commitment. So if you guys are wondering, what does it look like to cling to a life of Jesus? Like, what does it mean to actually walk with him? It's not easy, so I'm going to be honest and tell you this. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a pretty audacious statement for Jesus to make. you got to remain in me, and if you remain in me and bear fruit, that's what's going to happen. But if apart from me, you can do nothing. But let me further follow this up with Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and this is Jesus himself talking your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is what Jesus is telling you. If you choose to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. I think a lot of young people, some of you in this room, and certainly a lot of your friends at your school, the is because you realize, dude, I don't want to give up everything. I want to, like, smoke weed on the weekends, and I want to be disrespectful to my parents, and I want to fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, because you have it wrong. You think that Jesus is looking for a relationship with you to take everything out of your life. Jesus is not even looking at those choices. He's looking at your heart. Like, he's saying, I want to come in and get to know you and draw close to you, and then I'll transform all the rest of that stuff. But you got to be willing. Like, too often, we just, like, come and play church. Like, oh, good to see you. You're here every Wednesday. That's so good. High five. Like, I go to church. I'm in a youth group. And you have zero reality that you've laid down your life, taken up the cross of Jesus, and actually honored him with your choices. That's just the reality. I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'm just trying to speak the truth tonight. And the reality is this. You're going to strive for years and years and years and maybe even your whole life to try to hold on to your life so desperately. Hold on to your friendships. Hold on to it because you want to sleep with your girlfriend. Hold on to it, but you want to party with your buddies. You're going to hold on to it so tightly. And the Bible's clear. It says you're going to lose it anyway. But you're going to try so hard, hard to hold on to it because it's what you know. It's Orpa. She went back to what she knows, where she's comfortable, where she doesn't have to make any hard choice to lay anything down to follow Jesus because this is way easier. And you can do that. You can keep doing that. And you can keep writing your story. Or you could finally decide, oh, all right, I give. I'm going to lay down everything for the sake of I want your God to be my God. Some of you have, like, great relationships with your small group leaders, or some of you might look up to Pastor James or Aaron or me or the, another leader and say, like, wow, like, they seem to have, like, they just know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. And even when they go through hard stuff, they still have joy and, like, great community. You know how you become, quote, unquote, like us? You start walking with us as we walk toward Jesus. There's no magic formula. We're not perfect. We don't have it together. Trust me. Trust me. I know. Like, I know Pastor James' issues. Like, you don't want to know about it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Get real. Because this is the thing. If you live your whole life holding on to the mess of what surrounds you, in the end, all you'll have is a forfeiting of your own soul. You'll live your whole life as a mess anyway, plus forfeit your soul. And it won't be worth it. It's not worth it. So my last point is this, don't agree with the mess. And we're going to wrap up with this point. It says this, when she says, I'm going to cling to you, it says, then the two of them continued in their journey and were guided by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. And then she says this, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. And they you guys ever gone through a crazy hard time in life and you finally make a decision to like maybe go back toward the right thing? But when you show up, you're so pissed at God that you start telling everyone around you, where was God? Where was God when my mom was sick? Why didn't, I, why didn't God heal her? I asked every single day for 12 years. God didn't heal my mom. 
right? Where was God when that abuse was happening when I was five years old and I couldn't help it, right? Where were you, God? Don't call me love. She said, God has raised his fence against, against me. God has been terrible to me. This is a reality here. Naomi had it twisted. She did actually not know the truth of what God was up to behind the scene, but she needed a place to throw her blame. And so she started like getting mad at God. And some of you guys, young people, there's been hurt in your life. And when your life is a mess, we start agreeing with the mess. My last point is this. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. Don't agree with the mess. What do I mean? I mean, Naomi, she, she had a hard life. No one would have blamed her for being an upset person. She lost her husband and her sons and everything else she had and known and loved. All right? She is agreeing with the mess saying, I'm a bitter person now. I'm just going to be angry. I'm going to be the grumpy one. I'm going to be a victim. Right? Sound familiar? I'm going to say, this is my story, and I'm writing it, and I got hurt, and there's pain, so I'm going to have all my walls up and not let anyone in. That is the agreement with your mess around you, not the agreement of your true identity. Because her true identity was lovely and pleasant. Right? I want to read a scripture in, from Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. It says this. Work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in you, grows up to trouble you. Corrupt. This is a huge thing that hurts us as people, as young people, as grown-ups, as whatever. When hurt, when life happens to you, and it has, and if not, it will, it's a, it's a matter of when trouble comes, not if it comes. The Bible says when trouble comes. When you get hurt, when you're on the wrong side of pain, right, you're the one that's been hurt, you're the one that's been wronged, you still have a choice how you respond to that pain. You can allow a poisonous root of bitterness to grow deep down into your heart. And you know what that does? Bitterness takes root in your life. And then any good fruit that's trying to grow from the Lord, bitterness is just choking it out. Like all of a sudden you deal with it, you're hurt, you've been abused, you're frustrated, so you deal with anxiety. And then you partner with, well, I'm an anxious person, I, I have anxiety. You partner with it. You say, I have anxiety, that's my identity. And then all of a sudden you're like, but Lord, I'm cutting off with this freaking anxiety, it's killing me, Right? And you think that all day long. And so you're asking for peace. Lord, I need peace from you. And then God starts like growing a little bit of fruit of peace around you. But so quickly that deep, deep root of bitterness and unforgiveness from that hurt is still there. So it goes and it just chokes out that peace. You're like, why doesn't it last? My youth pastors and youth leaders keep saying that Jesus can bring me peace beyond all understanding. Why do I get it for a minute during the worship song on a Wednesday night, but then I leave and then all the anxious thoughts are my addiction that I have to pornography and be like, I don't even want to ever watch pornography again. And then five hours later, it's right in my face again. What happened to the fruit that was starting to bloom? I'll tell you what happened. There's a root of bitterness in your heart that is grounded. And you guys know that roots are below the surface, right? We talked about this in our leader meeting. There is roots below the surface. When we look at our lives, when I look at your lives and I don't see peace, and joy, and love, and goodness, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. It's not because the Holy Spirit isn't there to give them to you. It's because you haven't allowed Jesus to cut out the roots that are deep down that you've been holding on to. So tonight, we're going to sing a song. 
And this is a really powerful song. Some of you have probably heard it before, but this is the first night we're introducing it at CPU. It's called Raise a Hallelujah. And it talks about making your hallelujah be louder than the mess in your life. That there's more power in your worship, okay, when you choose to say, I'm going to surround me and I'm going to say hallelujah. You know what hallelujah means? It means praise God. Then in the middle of my mess, I'm going to stand to my feet. I'm not going to care what the person next to me or behind me or in front of me is doing or saying or not. I'm going to raise my hands maybe for the first time, and I'm going to say, I trust you, God. I praise you even in the middle of this mess, even in the middle of the hurt in my life. But as we're singing this song tonight, I believe there might be some of you here that you've been holding on to a root of bitterness. Someone may have hurt you, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was someone that said something mean, maybe your dad said like, I don't like you, I hate you, I don't, whatever, I never wanted you. Maybe your mom's like, wow, you're going to wear that? You look like a little bit fat in that. That's hurtful. If the people, your mom and dad say things to you because they're human too, then we as young people get these scars, right, written on our hearts that we just can't let go of. Maybe tonight is the night you let go of bitterness over someone that hurt you. Maybe tonight's the night you say, okay, I'm going to forgive this because it frees you to live your life and to grow fruit that will be good over your soul. So tonight, as we sing this song, I want it to be a moment for you guys to just close your eyes and block everyone else out. And as the worship team sings this over you, and you guys can join in as soon as you kind of learn it, we're just going to make a declaration that in the midst of the hurt, we're going to sing and raise a hallelujah louder. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite all of my leaders to kind of come up in the front and kind of around the sides. And if you just need prayer to go to those leaders but after we sing this song i'm going to bring you guys up and we're going to have a moment that if some people want to come to the altar and lay down and forgive somebody like lay down that root we're going to give you guys that moment tonight after we sing the first part of the song cool so we're going to sing to the song i'll come back up but i just want you guys to have this moment with the lord real fast before we do that
just sing it loud in this place. Through every storm, he is good. He is good. Let's sing it. Sing it a little louder. Sing a little louder. Gonna sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Come on, sing out your praises to him tonight. Sing a little louder. small groups for a little bit in a few minutes, but that line right there